Welcome to the Scale and New Heights podcast, a podcast designed to empower small business advisors so that they can transform small businesses. I am Gary Dehart, publisher of Insightful Accountant, and on today's podcast, Joe Woodard and I will take a fresh look at a heavily used term, trusted advisor. Joe, so many in the accounting space are challenging bookkeepers and accountants to become trusted advisors. And I have heard you say that trusted advisor is a loaded term. Well, it is a loaded term, Gary. And um, it's because when you tell an advisor to become a trusted advisor, what they're hearing is passive trust. They're hearing, I've already achieved that. I've already checked that box. Now tell me something new to do. And what they really mean is my client trusts my professional behavior. My client trusts me to get a tax return done on time. My client trusts me to accurately reconcile their bank account. My client trusts me not to share their sensitive information with others. And beyond that, trusts me to be uh, to, to maintain the privacy and security requirements necessary so people don't invade their private information. And therefore, whatever they need to send my way They're going to send it my way, have the peace of mind of knowing I'm going to get it done accurately and on time. And we have a long-term history of that. And the more that I perform, the more they trust, I'm a trusted advisor, I'm good to go. But with, with active trust, there's a completely different level of relationship. And unfortunately, the word trust is the same. So, so the challenge really should not be trusted advisor not that that's a bad word it's just an it's just a loaded word you know like you you talked about use that term loaded instead i think a more challenging and more accurate word should be transformative advisor so so what's different then what's really is the goal then of a transformative advisor versus a trusted advisor we mean increases in wealth um And instead of measuring my behavior to know if I was trusted or not, the only true measurement of of increases in wealth or transformative advisory services is the client's behavior. Did I tell them to do something? And as a result of that, their wealth increased. And, and, you know, in conferences, you know, in seminars, I'll often raise the question, or, or, or present a statement, and the statement has a blank on it. Don't sell me count accounting services, sell me blank. And it's a fun exercise because words start coming up all over the room when I say, guys, fill in the blank. What should be in the blank? Don't sell me accounting services, sell me blank. And, and, and I get answers like, sell me peace of mind. Um, sell me a healthy business. Sell me work-life, they usually say work-life balance. I use the work-life, the term work-life harmonization podcast for another day. Um, I get all of these answers that begin the process in their minds of transcending their role as a service worker performing accounting services. But, but then, but ultimately, Gary, I have never had anyone fill in the blank with the actual product an accountant sells. See, when I went to Disney Institute, Disney asked us what Disney's product was. And and it was a similar exercise. We came up with all sorts 
of words. And, and in their case, it was a little bit more specific to the services they offered, right? Uh, it's a movie. It's a theme park. And some people would go a little bit above that, you know, and they would say it's an emotion or, or it, it's, it's a vacation or it's, it's time with my family or what, something like that. And they would get very close. But ultimately, Disney knew what its product was, and no one actually came up with the exact product they sell. Disney says their product is a memory. Now, I was sitting in Peach Dragon with my daughter, and she was young enough that this whole thing about a dragon flying around that might get hurt by the people that were trying to capture it, that was very traumatic for her. She was just a little bitty girl. And I remember her tucking her arm into my shoulder and sort of, you know, peeking out from underneath my elbow, just barely wanting to watch because she wasn't gonna, sure what was going to happen to Elliot the dragon. I didn't really have a lot of emotional stake to whether this dragon was going to live or die. But D Disney delivered a product to me because I will, for the rest of my life, remember going to the movies with my daughter and I will remember the way she tucked her head up underneath my shoulder and peeked out from underneath my elbow. And I'll remember how it felt for her to instinctively come to me whenever she had any kind of emotional distress and I could alleviate that emotional concern. Um, they delivered their product and that raises a whole uh, <laughs> different conversation for what's the value of the product. I don't want to get on that tangent right now, but um, I, I, Ultimately, the product of the accountant, and this is very strange, so hang with me here. Ultimately, the product of the accountant is the client, the client themselves. The, the only question that now remains, once you understand your product is the client, the question remains, how good is your product? So when I say when I say transformative advisory services, what I really mean is you're manufacturing really healthy small business clients. So how does the small business operate better? How does the small business owner have stronger peace of mind? How is the, the small business owner and their employees better work-life harmonized? What is the culture of the company? What is the infrastructure of the company? What are the technologies and systems and the scale of the company? Is the company positioned to eventually sell to somebody? Meaning, do they have a viable succession plan or are they headed towards that goal? What is their ability to capitalize? What is their plan or needs around capitalization? Uh, anything that speaks to the company's stability, scalability, or health is an element of increasing their wealth, not just how much money is left in, at the bank at the end of the fiscal period. Now, from my view, of the accounting profession, I'm not seeing bookkeepers, accountants, or even CPAs, broadly speaking, I'm not seeing that they're consistently transformative advisors. You know, it seems that there is something that's holding them back. I don't have any idea what that might be. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what's holding them back. Um, there are actually, you know, several things holding them back. There's identity, they have a, an identity problem. Their clients don't perceive them correctly. They have the wrong kind of clients. Their clients aren't coachable. They don't have the skill sets they need. I mean, there's quite a list of reasons why there's a gulf between where they are and where they need to be with transformation. Identity. What does that mean? 
Okay. When I say that the clients, when I say accountants have an identity problem, I mean that we identify ourselves based on compliance and accuracy because it is what we have been doing, right? Whenever it's, it's instead of selling, don't sell me accounting services, sell me blank. Um, we're not even at a blank that's separate from accounting services. I mean, we're, we're still in the accounting services piece. I would say don't stop doing it. Just don't stop there. Right. Fill in the blank with some additional additional kinds of benefits that you bring that ultimately lead to transformation. But as long as you identify yourself as only, now only is the key word. I am only a bookkeeper. I am only a tax preparer. I am only an auditor. And I want the listeners here to really check themselves on this because I don't think anybody would consciously say I am only a bookkeeper or I'm only a, a zero or QuickBooks or Sage advisor, because we're smarter than that when we're thinking about it consciously. And we know that relationships are complex and we know how to script out what we, what we know is the right answer or what should be the right answer. I want you to, to do some self-examination and I want you to do some service examination. And though you know you're not supposed to be only a bookkeeper, I want you to ask yourself, what percentage of non-bookkeeping, non-tax, non-accounting work do I perform? And for what percentage of my clientele do I perform it? Make it a, make it a, a rational data-driven decision. Then identify yourself not when you've achieved it. This is so key, Gary. Identify yourself now as a transformative advisor. Understand that that's the mantle you're carrying. That's the vision you're adopting. Go ahead and write the vision down. Script it out however you would want to. We, we scripted ours here um, so that it speaks to change on the part of the small business client. And then put that mandate on yourself and identify yourself that way. I'm a big believer that your identity drives your behavior, and therefore it will drive everything from your educational direction to the conversations you have with your clients, to the goals that you set for your firm and your clients, to what you're willing to tolerate and not tolerate um, in your client relationships. It's gonna push you to greater levels of excellence. So just look yourself in the mirror, as weird as this sounds, right? As self-help 1970s as it sounds, just look yourself in the mirror and say, I am a transformative advisor. And with that identity comes power. So uh, second one on your list was client perception. Are you talking about the client's perception of themselves or the perception of, of the advisor? This would be the client's perception of you as the advisor. Okay. And this really is the definition of brand. You know, brand is guiding the thought process of other people about you and about your firm. A lot of people think brand is a logo, brand is a color scheme, brand is the appearance of my website, brand is some advertisement I take out. No, no, brand, those are, those are the, the smallest components of brand. The, the brand is controlling the perception of others as they view you. And you have both a personal brand and you have a professional brand and you have a firm brand, all right? So when you are branding yourself, it is important to use the right terms about yourself. And I tell, I tell people with all due respect to, to the value of, of bookkeeping, of tax work, and of accounting work, 
I challenge bookkeepers and accountants and CPAs not to use the words bookkeeping, accounting, or CPA in their firm name. As soon as they do, it, it, those are noble professions, right? But as soon as you use the terms, you are no longer in control of the client's perception. The term you use is driving the client's perception of you. And, 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 that means that both in those universally understood or perceived qualities of a bookkeeper, which are good, they're, they're, still, they're still locking you down to the back office where you're trying to make your way to the boardroom. They're perceiving you as overhead when what you want to be is revenue generating and wealth generating. They're, they're perceiving you as a commodity and therefore they're price anchoring you with where other bookkeepers, tax preparers, and auditors charge. When what we really want to do is bring extreme value and start to negate those price anchors. So even when they're looking at bookkeeping tax and auditor in the most noble sense, it still has perception problems for you and branding problems for you that lock you down to certain roles and certain price points. But on top of that, there are negative connotations. What if the last three bookkeepers that the small business owner employed or contracted with were duds and their idea of a bookkeeper is, is very negative. Or what if they associate tax preparers with paying taxes and they lump the tax preparer in with the IRS tax code, which they don't like because somehow in their business, it always ends up where they owe more money than they think they should owe. And now, you know, you're really, you're really on the wrong side of the table. Uh, or, or in the audit process, what if you're a necessary evil? They just they, they really don't like to see you coming in the door because it means that they're going to be under a forensic microscope uh, and, and that whole forensic process so that they can do something negative, meet compliance so I can continue to be dependent on a bank They pay by interest and, and, you know, be upside down or just, you know, if not upside down, have, you know, just keep the liabilities going. All of these negative associations that can be loaded into bookkeeping, tax, and audit come alongside you. And again, I'm not saying to hide that you perform these services. I'm saying don't identify yourself around those services because not only will it hold you back psychologically, but it creates a client perception problem for you. So instead, you might want to use terms like business coach or outsource director of business development. Now, some people use outsource CFO or a term going around right now that's popular as fractional CFO. And some people like that. Some people don't. I don't only because the folks that, that typically listen to what I have to say and come to my conferences, they don't service businesses that are ready to build out a C-suite of executives. And it kind of disenfranchises you from the, the one to 10 million range. I, I just really like the term business coach. It, it, it's broad enough that you get to shape the client's perception, but it's specific enough that they know you're there to come alongside them to make them better. That's what coaches do. But you pick your term and then you begin to build in the client's mind what that term means for your relationship with that client. So next one on your list was wrong clients. I think that was pretty obvious, but uh, what are your thoughts there? Well, there, there are multiple elements to the wrong clients. And, and I would say I'm going to, I could talk about 
you know, multiple ones, but time permitting, I'm going to focus on the two biggest characteristics of the wrong client. Uh, the first is that they are not coachable. If they won't listen to you and you're the business coach, there's nothing you can do. They've tied your hands. Um, you have to sever those relationships, even with the companies that show tremendous promise. And even those companies that pay their bill on time and aren't fee sensitive and otherwise fit the profile of a client, you have to be willing to gently walk them out the back door if they won't listen to what you have to say. Increasing wealth is a two-part relationship. You must have the knowledge. You must impart the knowledge. But on the other side, they must listen and they must apply. Now, the other element of a wrong client is the wrong kind of business. So it is impossible. It is impossible. I would say in my opinion, but I'm, I'm going to be so bold as to say it is impossible definitively for you to be consistently transformative without picking a specific type of business to serve. You simply can't know everything you need to know about every kind of business. Uh, so when I'm speaking in public, I'll, I'll often throw out a fact that if a veterinarian's office has a higher percentage of dogs than they do cats, they have higher revenues per customer, uh, per patient. And, you know, I'll kind of let that sit out in the room for a second. And I'll let people start chewing on why that might be true. And then I drop the bombshell. I have no idea if that's true. Even though I've taught that Gary for about, I don't know, two years. It's kind of a joking point I'm making. I've never actually looked it up to determine if having more dogs than cats in a veterinarian practice generates more revenues. I mean, common sense would say so because you groom your dog. You don't typically groom your cat, right? Dogs run into things because they're clumsy. Cats have nine lives, all of that, right? But, but you know, it's just kind of just something I throw out. I don't know if it's true or not. And this is the point I make to the group after I've told my joke. They don't know either. In, in the, in the 20,000 accountants I train every single year, and in the hundreds that I've presented that scenario to, I've never had one person in one group raise their hand and tell me what the real statistic is, what the real key performance indicator is for a veterinarian practice. Because not one accountant actually knows what that key performance indicator is. And Gary, I promise you it's out there. My point is, if you will choose only veterinarians as your client, you're going to stay sharp on what it takes to run a veterinarian practice, what best systems you should put in place, how that client is benchmarking as compared to other veterinarians, not only in your client base, but nationwide, and the key performance indicators with all of the changes that take place due to market fluctuations that apply to that veterinarian practice. And then you're going to build up, talk about client perception, a brand as someone who touches veterinarian practices and they grow. You'll have the Midas, Midas touch. But as soon as you say, this works, let's go do construction companies too, you've now doubled your CPE because you now you have to know all the different metrics for a construction company and all the different operational pieces for a construction company, all the technology for a construction company, and then you've created a client perception problem, branding problem, because you have to have all the different messaging on your website for veterinarians versus construction companies 
You have to direct people who come to your website in one direction or the other. You have to double your content marketing and the articles you write for, you know, places like Insightful Accountant. So you're writing an equal number of articles about veterinarian practices as you are construction companies. You just can't sustain it all. Even if you had a 10 or 15 or 20 practitioner firm, you still have the problem with your content marketing, your brand, your client perception. Um, pick something and slowly begin to work your client base to the point where you only service that something. And then a wrong client is defined as a client that isn't coachable, and it's defined as a client that isn't the right kind of business, even if they are coachable. And I, and I just want anybody listening to this podcast, unless you're driving while you're listening, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine going to work the next day you go to work and every single one of your clients, everyone is coachable and is in the business that you understand deeply you know how to affect positively, and you yourself are also passionate about. I mean, that's nirvana, and it's transformative. That would make it uh, very easy to get out of bed every day, wouldn't it? And uh, so, the last one you had mentioned was oh, and I and I have my uh, my veterinarian CPA name. It's like cats and credits or dogs and dogs. <laughs> See, now you're thinking that's, that's proper branding, Gary. That's awesome. Except I hate that the dogs were on the debit side. Um, <laughs> all right. So your last one was skill set. And I think actually what, a lot of what you just talked about hits that one pretty well. But uh, talk to us about skill set. Well, there are barriers in ability. And, and, I, and this is the one I get the most. I mean, by the time somebody's been to Scaling New Heights a couple of times, or maybe even one time, they've joined our institute, they've listened to a couple of these podcasts, they get the bug and they understand what they're supposed to do. And, and they're, they're thought leaders echoing what I'm saying. It's not unique to me. So I've got their thoughts existing in the space, flanking everything that we're talking about here on this podcast. So, so people kind of get it, but then then they will come up to me and sometimes they'll even come up to me, Gary, with tears in their eyes. And they're like, I get it. And I actually feel pain for a particular kind of small business. I know if I can make them more successful, I'll actually fulfill my goals in life because they've picked a niche that's, that's very personal to them. But they said, Joe, I just don't know how to get from A to B. I don't have the skills. I've been spending my entire career mastering how to do bookkeeping in particular kinds of general ledger solutions, or I've been spending my entire life mastering how to do tax returns. And, and it feels like such a Herculean leap to now develop an entire skill set or trade around transformative services. And there is a lot to learn. But, but if you let, let's start by taking the three skill set barriers and categorizing them, because if we can do that, I think we're going to bring the fruit down on the tree just a little bit. So advisors to have the right skills need to be well versed in operational consulting, technology consulting and interpretation. And I, and I know we're, we're running tight on time. So I just want to say very brief drill down here that with operational consulting, I mean, affecting how a business runs. And that could be starting with their org chart, learning how an org chart works is a day seminar. And I know it sounds like it might even be simpler than that, but it's a very complex process. 
go to a seminar for a day, learn what it means to, to manage an org chart, and you have the first skill, the first tool in your, in your tool bag. Um, and then sit down with the client, take a look at what their current org chart structure is, which are probably breaking around people and it should be roles just to give you guys a teaser for like one of the things you would emphasize, build out an org chart with them in a half day of brainstorming and they'll start seeing that they're wearing too many hats or they'll start seeing that somebody else is wearing too many or too, too few. They'll start seeing that they have the wrong people in the wrong roles or as Jim Collins calls it, the wrong people in the wrong seats. And in some cases they'll even, even painfully determine they have the wrong people in the company. And then you can guide them through the process of getting the right people into the right roles within the company, and that's transformational. And it's a day's worth of seminar. Um, then work on the next goal, which could be the way that they manage a certain very specific process, or maybe just the way they manage their team meetings, or maybe it's their collaboration technology. They need to be using Slack or Microsoft Teams, and they're just shooting emails back and forth to each other. There's some other micro goal that you can learn, learn well, and deploy just one step at a time. You don't have to get an MBA and you don't have to go through three or four years worth of operational training in order to begin. Begin sharing the knowledge you gain as you gain it and sharpen that knowledge. And then you're an operational consultant. And, you're, and remember, to be transformative doesn't mean you have to transform 100% of the problems in 100% of your clients in a short period of time. That's so daunting, that'll just make you curl up in the fetal position. To be transformative, it just means you have to increase their wealth. It could be in a very specific way, it could be in a very broad way, and usually the broad way is over time. With technology consulting, that's in the wheelhouse of many accountants. We began adopting that into our, our skill set around the mid-90s in the heydays of QuickBooks and Peachtree Desktop. So I won't speak to that a lot here, but what I would say is it's ever-changing. We have to constantly stay on top of the technologies. And the other thing I would say is make sure your technology skill set is not only focused on the back office, it's also focused on the operations of the company. Um, so you know, find out what those solutions are that run a veterinarian practice or a construction company or an acupuncturist really well master them, master just one of them, right? And then find those clients who want that one thing you're the master at and put that in. And then the last one is interpretation. And interpretation comes into a diff couple of different categories, um, but I like to, to make, basically make it past and future. So it's either analytical and, and, I'm, and I'm learning how to not repeat the mistakes of the past or to repeat the successes of the past because I'm analyzing the financial performance of the past, um, or it's predictive. And usually with predictive analytics, you're talking about key performance indicators, you're talking about non-financial data. The cats versus dogs is a predictive or leading indicator because I can tell that, that, uh, that veterinarian practice that if they will increase the number of dogs by 10%, they will increase the revenues by whatever that yield is, 15 or 20%. And remember, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm making that up. It could be completely the inverse or it could be parrots. But what but my point, I'm using this, this uh, pseudo example just to make a point. Whatever the metric is, once you know it, once you've measured it, it becomes predictive. It becomes leading. And, and, it, and again, Gary, what I really want folks to hear here is... Um, it just takes a few tools in the toolkit. 
it, you don't have to be a master mechanic to figure out how to change out the battery and top off the fluids. Start with the basics. Start by the, the, the most rudimentary measurements, operational changes, and technology implementation, and broaden, broaden, broaden. As you build relationships with clients, they're going to help you broaden things out. They're going to let you experiment on them, though I probably wouldn't use that word with them. They're going to let you grow alongside them just to, organically, just as you would if you were an employee working in their company on business development. And, and, and it's, it's on-the-job training all the time. And, you, and, and what I have learned as people have come up to me with sometimes with these tears in their eyes, I, I know them, I know how they run their businesses, and I know to circle all the way back, Gary, to that first barrier, that the majority of it is an identity problem. These are brilliant people who know what it takes to transform a business, and they're a lot closer to the goal than they think they are. So my challenge is just get out there, get started, but of course, always be learning. Go to the kinds of conferences and read the kinds of articles, and not just in the accounting sphere, but also in your client's industry that will keep your edge sharp. Right. Hopefully, uh, like in the future, we could do a drill down on that transformational skill set because I, I know we were having to, to wrap it up, but there's so many levels that that can touch. And, I, I would love to do that, Gary. Why don't we get that scheduled and just do an entire podcast of what it means to do operational, technological, and interpretive transformation. That would be, that'd be incredible. Yep. Stay tuned into this podcast. Listen to the past episodes. Each of the podcasts emphasizes some element of transformative leadership with your clients because just like I challenged you to have a vision statement, we have one, and it's to transform small businesses through small business advisors. So we don't do anything here at Woodard that isn't empowering a small business advisor to transform a small business. So stay tuned in. That's my final comment. Thank you, Joe. And to all of our listeners, we want to say thank you for joining us. Don't forget to check out woodard.com slash podcasts for additional resources related to today's podcast and to learn more about the annual Scale and New Heights Conference. Resources always abound at insightfulaccountant.com. As always, we encourage you to stay tuned, stay connected, never stop learning, and to scale new heights.